Welcome to Epic Fails, Finding Redemption in Our Stories. I'm your host, Brittany Russ, and on this show, you'll hear people from all walks of life sharing powerful stories of transformation. My hope is that as you hear stories of redemption, you'll find redemption in your own. I did take the summer off with the book launch and a big transition happening in my life, but I'm excited to roll out some new episodes this fall that will inspire and encourage you. The lineup of godly people coming onto the show will honestly blow your socks off. (laughs) But seriously, they are great people and their stories of how Jesus rescued them are powerful. I do want to take a moment before we jump into the interview to talk about the book I launched this past summer. Uh, Maybe you heard about it in the podcast episodes last spring, did read an expert and I talked a little bit about it, but I want to share it with you because I truly believe God is in it and wants to use it to transform people. In the book, it's called Untouchable. I share my own story of redemption, how you can find redemption in your own story after an epic failure, but most importantly, how any Christian can overcome the untouchable myth and stand firm against temptation. This is a book I truly believe should be in the hand of every believer because if we are all honest with yourselves, we all have an untouchable mindset. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a list of sins that you say you will obviously never do? Well, that's an untouchable mindset and that's a dangerous place to live. That's why I lived for so many years and I actually ended up doing a sin I said I would never do. And so I want to shatter that myth in this book and give Christians the resources to stand against temptation. So it's called Untouchable, Unraveling the Myth that You Are Too Faithful to Fall and you can pick it up everywhere books are sold. Today we have on the show Mo Isom, a New York Times bestselling author, a nationally sought after speaker, and a zealous voice rising up for our generation. In her younger years, she was an all-American goalkeeper for the LSU women's soccer team and the first female to train with and try out for an SEC men's football team. Her life was riddled with great personal tragedy, including battling an eating disorder, overcoming the suicide of her father, struggling with promiscuity, and surviving a horrific car accident. But by the grace of God alone, she encountered the love and mercy of Jesus, the great deliverer and the one who makes all things new. Let's meet her and dive right in. Mo, welcome to the show. Thank you. This is a treat to be on. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. We are like-minded, like-hearted girls um, who've been connected and Mo and I have just been getting to know each other a little bit and I'm really excited for the listeners to hear your story and hear what you've been through and how God redeemed you. Again, it's really powerful and I think for the listener, man, you're going to love her just heart and what God's doing. So um, we're going to start Mo at the beginning. Give us a glimpse into your childhood. Oh boy. Um, where do I even begin? I was, <laughs> no, big question. Uh, <laughs> I was raised up in, um, really a wonderful home. I mean, I had two, two Christian parents who were in church on Sunday and encouraging, you know, Bible studies and, and FCA fellowship of Christian athletes through school and, um, really grew up in the Bible belt in Georgia, knowing a lot about God that was comfortable. I mean, that was what was like culturally the norm. Um, I could have told you a lot about God, but mm-hmm. I didn't really know God. I, I, mm-hmm. um, I knew how to go through the motions. I knew sort of how to get my Jesus points is what I called them through the week. I knew like, mm-hmm. 
how to um, behave properly, I guess, but I didn't really understand sort of the motivating, um, I guess, source really of why I would look around and see others who were deeply passionate about faith and who, you know, walked with a different gait in their step, you know, when, and when it came to all things living out their faith. And um, so I just, I guess it was familiar. I call it kind of cultural Christianity, like uh, faith by inheritance. Mm-hmm. It was like, my parents were Christian. So I guess that meant I was a Christian and sure. um, that was, it was good. It was fine. It was comfortable. Again, there was nothing really that kind of posed any resistance to that. But um, I also was just a very competitive athlete. I was very type A, just a perfectionist and a performer. And um, really my understanding of God's love was kind of framed around my understanding of like the love from my father, which was very much if I did well, if I was good, if I, you know, succeeded athletically, I was daddy's best girl. But if I lost Mm -hmm. or if I didn't perform well, or if I didn't bring home A's, it was like silent treatment. Mm -hmm. So my my understanding of God's love for me was pretty conditional. And, um, I just tried to be, be good, I guess, but, you know, pretty early on started to be exposed to just some really broken things. I mean, eight years old, I think was the first time I was exposed to porn, um, through my dad's own stash, like a novelty poker card fell out of the back of his truck. And I'll never forget how searing that was. Like Mm -hmm. when I first set eyes on it, and confusing because this was my dad who I loved and like lived to please. And yet my mom was inside the house. What was I looking at? You know, and yeah. confusing and shameful, but then also because I was human and because so many of us are human kind of started to pique my curiosity and started to seek it out more and more. And, you know, I think at age nine, I made this sort of proud proclamation to my mom that I would be a virgin until I was married because I'd heard a lot about that at church. I'd heard a lot about sort of the virgin talk, mm-hmm. um, but nothing really about purity and about a deeper heart condition. And so at nine, I made this like proud proclamation to my mom that, you know, she had told me that she and my dad were virgins until they got married. So that's what I would be. And that's what I would do. And um, I'm sure that felt like a victory for my poor mom who like <laughs> nine year old is coming to them with these types of questions. Yeah. But really, I just began my life, I guess, sort of growing up was kind of this works based answer to a life surrender question. Mm-hmm. You know, God was asking for all he asked for all of our heart. He asks for all of us. He asks for the condition of our heart to be set on him. And yet we typically answer like, uh, how about I just give you some semi good behavior? <laughs> like, And that was just kind of the way I functioned. I, I lived to perform and to be good. Um, yet I was really wrestling with a lot of stuff kind of in the darkness and navigating a lot of things really blindly because the church just really wasn't talking about it much around mm-hmm. me. And I assumed nobody else was really doing the things or struggling with the things I was struggling with around me. Yet, I was really having some perverse things like set before my eyes and I was starting to act them out and figure things out on my own. And, you know, as I got older, starting to kind of experiment with guys and, um, I saw, I guess a lot of these broken things as sort of the world's marker of like power and beauty and value. And, Mm -hmm. um, I just, I, I think it was really kind of around the end of high school that I, I was just in the throes of 
struggle and yet faking it and wearing masks and just thinking that was how we lived. Like I was, had had control issues that manifested into a really vicious eating disorder at that point. I'm struggling with pornography in the darkness. I'm, you know, promiscuous to an extent behind closed doors. And yet I'm the good church girl on the surface and Mm -hmm. not really talking about anything with anybody. And, um, it was just, it was interesting. It was like a great, a great childhood. I don't want to totally dismiss the the wonderful things of, of my childhood, but, but really when I look back and reflect now, it was just a lot of heart mess, I guess, and confusion because no one was really cultivating the conversations that I needed. And I didn't know to reach out and ask for help or wisdom or counsel. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, um, and, and it's something that I experienced, um, you know, I had to struggle with pornography growing up as well. And I think that there, I don't know if you had this mindset, but it's not something women are supposed to struggle with, right? It's a men's problem. No. And so, you know, for me, I, I was like, well, I can't tell anybody I'm a, I'd be a freak. Nobody, you know, would know what to do with me. Did you ever feel that way? Did you ever feel like who would understand this struggle that I'm going through? Yeah, there was a little bit of first and foremost, not like the, the rationalizing of like, I guess this isn't all that bad. It was sort of Mm -hmm. a first, like the conviction came, but then it was like, well, my dad's looking at it and like, it's accessible. I mean, I find these magazines here and my neighbor's showing me how to turn to the blurry channels and like turn your head and you can sort of distinguish what's happening there. Like, it it was this weird mix of conviction and knowing it. I felt filthy and I felt, wrong for it Mm -hmm. yet this allure to it and honestly this seemingly like normalcy to it if that's what was in a lot of the movies a little bit watered down but there's nudity in the movies there's sex scene in the movies there's you know all these things on tv it was what was kind of glorified by our culture there was a little bit i guess of like a lack of awareness of how broken what i was consuming really was like how negatively and deeply it was affecting me I was a little mm. clueless to it, but then at the same time, it was like, really, when I was coming up, and I'm only 28, uh, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the like surge of of pornography has really come probably in the last decade, especially. But at that time, it was like the church really wasn't even talking to the men about it, much sure. less the women, much yeah. less the children. Like, you know, yeah. it was there was no one around me like I said, even cultivating the conversations. And so when the church isn't the sounding board of truth and our, our parents are the ones that we're being influenced by and mm-hmm. the culture kind of acts like it's normal. It was like this, this knowing it was wrong, like wrestling deep down, but I guess not feeling like I had to be accountable to anyone about it. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah. it just seemed permissive, uh, you know, permissible, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, you're in high school, you're, you've got your eating disorder, your promiscuity, your struggle with pornography. How did that, um, where did your life go as you stepped out of high school and into your young adult years? Tell us more about that journey for you. Yeah, I, I, I was um, committed to go play soccer at LSU, Louisiana State. If there's any Tiger fans listening, go Tigers. <laughs> um, I was committed to go play soccer at LSU and really was a very high-level athlete at that point. I was one of the top like goalkeepers in the country and just had a lot ahead of me and a lot I was excited about. And I was really honestly extremely tired of the 
the constant battle of the eating disorder, the constant deceit to anyone around me about it, the constant sort of inundation with the, with the struggles with porn. And I was just exhausted. And I Mm -hmm. came across the scripture that said, um, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And I couldn't Mm -hmm. have at that time told you the context. I couldn't have told you the, you know, passage. I couldn't have told you the scripture reference. I just somehow came across this scripture that was so appealing to my soul Mm -hmm. because my soul was so tired. Mm-hmm. And it just said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. It didn't say come to me when you're perfect and have it figured out. It didn't say come to me when you feel like you're at the top of your game. It just said, come to me if you're weary and if you're burdened. And so it, it really in, ignited in me this really honestly just supernatural courage to open up to my mom about um, the eating disorder, especially to... Um, you know, I saw this transition coming up of heading off to college and I just wanted that fresh start. And sure, so I, yeah. I kind of was climbing out of some of those struggles and I headed off to LSU kind of trying to figure out, okay, my mom was so wonderful. She was like, you know, ultimately I can get you in with the counselors, with nutritionists, but your true healing is going to come from your own relationship with the healer. Mm. Like my mom wasn't mm-hmm. naive to the fact that I was coasting, I guess. And she was like, mm. your, your, your true healing is going to come from your pursuit of the healer. And so what's that going to look like for you in college? And it was, um, interesting. I headed off to LSU kind of trying to navigate my own independent faith walk and had really an exceptional freshman year. I mean was, was more focused, was, you know, had, was really accountable with the eating disorder with, was really growing and healing from that. And, um, I ended my freshman year kind of on that like mountaintop that I think a lot of us feel at times when we've seen some breakthrough and we've experienced some freedom and we've gotten this taste of this grace that's so freely given. Um, but it was after my freshman year that, um, my dad, just very unexpectedly, uh, one Christmas break, um, put a gun to his heart and pulled the trigger. He just mm-hmm. committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know, with no context around the understanding just was such a, you know, out of the blue left hook. And, um, that loss and that catastrophe to my heart just catapulted me into depression, into anxiety, into promiscuity, into Mm -hmm. deeper struggles with pornography, everything I had seen this sweet taste of a little bit of breakthrough from adversity has the power to knock the knees out from under us. Mm -hmm. If we're, you know, if we're not prepared and, um, it did just that and just really threw me into truly the darkest season. I mean, if high school had seemed rough, it was like, now this was genuinely just the darkest season of my life. And many times understanding why my dad did what he did, seeing it as a viable option for myself, just Mm -hmm. so, so overwhelmed and so consumed seeking any sin sized piece to fill the God sized hole in my heart. Cause I took off running from God. I was angry. I was resentful. I was hurt. Why would a good God allow such a bad thing to happen? You know, this mm. question, tale as old as time, we ask this question. And um, especially by means of the sexual experience, it just thr- thrust me. I would give away any part of my body in hopes that a man would give me his heart. Mm. It was like, I still was waving this proud banner of virgin, like the last final thread of an act I I never followed through with. But that was such a 
that was such a skewed perspective too, because I was waving this again, works-based answer like, oh, look, I, I guess I'm a virgin yet running every base possible. And <laughs> besides mm. getting just a toe from, from, you know, getting all the way home and, um, yeah. was struggling with porn was extremely promiscuous. And I remember sort of the climax of that darkness was even proclaiming virgin. And yet I was an adulteress. I had mm. gotten drunk one night out with friends and hooked up with this guy. Um, and I remember being so hung over the next morning in my bed in college. And of course that seems like the normal college experience, right? We just sort of totally failed to realize how deeply so many people living in these lifestyles are struggling because it mm -hmm. looks normal in college. But I woke up hung over, like replaying the night in my mind. And I will never forget the moment it struck me that they had said that this guy was separated or I didn't, I couldn't remember, was he separated? Was he divorced? Was he still married? I hadn't thought much of it when they'd said it, but then alcohol got in the equation and I woke up realizing I was an adulteress. I, mm -hmm. I had, had been physically with a married man, um, separated mm -hmm. or not. And it was this really sobering moment of how far, how far have I fallen? Who am I? Yeah. What am I mm -hmm. doing? I know better than this. I was raised better than this. I, how was I this good, high performing, successful churched girl on the surface now have a scarlet letter on my chest? Mm -hmm. And it was just really, um, a, a, a punch in the gut, <laughs> but it's amazing yeah. because God and his reckless love for us just never stops pursuing our hearts and our purity and never stops singing over us, our worth and our value. Even when we are that wandering rebel who is mm -hmm. more lost than they are found. And yeah. I was headed home for Thanksgiving break. Not long after that from Baton Rouge to Atlanta. And just really the cry of my heart was like, God, just wreck my life. Just end it. I'm, I'm where, who am I? Where am I? Just end it. Mm -hmm. And it's a dangerous prayer to pray. He will respond <laughs> when he, we yeah. ask him to wreck our lives. He will wreck our lives to save our lives and to save our eternal story. And I um, lost control of my Jeep alone on the interstate at one thirty in the morning, flipped it three times, landed in a ravine upside down and, and very physically wounded. And I will never forget the presence of the Holy Spirit entering mm -hmm. into that vehicle, into that wreckage at my most broken place. I had now been emotionally broken, <laughs> mentally yeah. broken. I am now physically broken and the power of the Holy Spirit entered in and it was as crushing as it was like soul resuscitating. And God just said, would you be still and hmm. know that I am God? I have yeah. plans for you. I have purpose for you. I see you. I know you. I love you in this world. You will face trouble. The enemy is going to wage battle after battle after battle for your soul. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have won the war. Mm -hmm. So you must choose. Who are you going to serve, sin or the son? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to allow to rebuild you into a new creation? And it was like a lot for hanging upside down, bleeding in a car. <laughs> I was like, yeah. It was the day I gave my heart to Christ completely and life absolutely transformed from that point forward, it just completely transformed. Mm, that's incredible. And you're right. Be careful about the prayers that you pray because God does hear our prayers. He and, hears them. <laughs> uh, he responds. He does. Um, 
I do want to ask you, when you were hitting that sort of rock bottom in your college years, and you had uh, the adultery and the promiscuity, where would you say your heart was in that moment emotionally, but also like, what were you thinking like spiritually? Was there this wrestle still internally um, to want to live for Jesus? Or, I mean, was it this reckless abandonment? Maybe just tell us a little bit about the spiritual um, and the heart place that you were yeah. in at that time. It was just exceptionally um, shallow and emotional. And I'll explain that, but it was really I was just in a spiritual place and a heart place that was just very shallow and surface level. It was led by my emotions. You mm -hmm. know, I, God was good when I was on a mountaintop and God, you're horrible when I'm in a valley. Like, mm. you know, God, you're so faithful when I'm an all American in my freshman year. God, you must not love me when my, when I'm staring at my dad's body on a morgue table. It was just mm. an emotionally volatile, a, a roller coaster ride of faith that matched emotion. And if we actually look at scripture, it says the heart is the most deceptive of all things who can trust it. Mm -hmm. And yet the world says the heart wants what it wants. Follow your right. heart. You know, it, mm -hmm. and so I'm just this slave to my emotions. I feel unloved. And so I go find a man to make me feel loved. Mm -hmm. I feel empty. And so I go, you know, wear next to nothing out to the bars to get eyes on me to make me feel like I'm valuable. You know, mm -hmm. it, I, it was really a place where I, again, knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God. And so my, it's it's one thing to have the info in our head and still be lorded by our heart, mm -hmm. which is volatile and easily wounded and the wellspring of life. So we must guard it because it yeah. is such a, you know, sensitive source for us. It is. So mm -hmm. I would say that's where I guess in those places I was. There was no real depth to my spiritual walk. I was a, I was a, it was just surface level. And mm -hmm there was no real maturity or can self-control over my emotions. I was, they were the Lord of my life. Yeah. And so it wasn't, it wasn't until I, I truly encountered the spirit of the living God that I understood God did not simply desire behavior modification. He desired heart transformation. He wasn't mm -hmm. simply the God of, do this, don't do that. This is right. This is wrong. So that you're a good enough Christian. He was the God that said uh, that when I stand before him, he'll search my heart. He'll search my motives. Yeah. He's the God who came to restore the condition of our heart, that they would be pure of heart. You know, he's not, uh, scriptures talks far less about virginity than it does about purity, a pure heart mm -hmm. condition, understanding that we are to be pure vessels that he can work through powerfully. Like, so it wasn't until that moment in the Jeep and then obviously the days, weeks, months after that I began to really understand, hold on, like I don't have to ride the ever-changing tide of my emotions. Yeah. I, it's, I'm normal. I'm not going to be sociopathic. We could feel, goodness, Jesus wept. Like emotions aren't, <laughs> you know, the worst thing in the world, but they don't have to be the Lord of my life. I, mm. I actually know the one who is 
never changing and never failing and steady and true and sure yeah. and full of grace and full of love and full of mercy and full of power and authority. And it was like when I truly encountered the Holy Spirit and was filled with the Holy Spirit, there was a complete transformation in my understanding of and my desire to live a life, no matter my circumstances, that ultimately honored a God who was good and who mm -hmm. was sure through my circumstances and who used all for his glory and who tells yeah. us we can rejoice in our adversity because it produces perseverance and character and hope. It was just a reframing of my heart and of my mind. Sure. Maybe, yeah, talk a little bit after um, you commit your life to Jesus, what that healing process was like for you. Were there um, certain things you had to go through, certain things you felt like the Lord was putting on your heart just for the listener? Maybe give us a peek yeah. into that healing process. Yeah, it was really beautiful and really hard. I always call it like the hard but holy heart work because mm -hmm. it's that's good. It's not like easy. That. It's yeah, no. it's like hard but holy heart work. It was really there was an immediate sensitivity in my spirit to the things that grieved the heart of the Father, mm. like in a desire to not grieve God because He was so freely forgave me and so generous in His love for me and so. I remember my prayer following the accident, kind of trying to wrap my head around this really radical change of heart. Um, I remember my prayer became, God, break my heart for what breaks yours and mm. bind my heart to thee. Give me eyes to see the world as you see it. Give me ears to hear the cry of the hurting. Make me more like Jesus. Make me more like you. That was just mm. this simple, honest prayer that really was just in the simplest term saying like, God, you have to do this work in me. Please transform yeah. me. Like, please, <laughs> please keep up this good work. I feel it. I know what I'm so grateful for it. Please keep it up. And so it was this simple prayer, just really asking God to like, open my eyes to the sin that I was in and the things I needed to repent of and like for him to just do the work. And it was beautiful because I think when we can open our hands and hearts to God in that way, when we ask him to purify us, he is never going to say no. Right, he is so yeah. faithful to do that work in us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of different avenues there. Like initially I realized really quickly because I stepped right back into my, my lifestyle before thinking I'll be the light. I'll be the light in the bars. <laughs> like yeah. I'll be the one who shines the light of Jesus. And, but I really don't want to get uncomfortable or lose any friends. Like, so I'll just figure out how to navigate both worlds. Right. And I mm -hmm. just realized I was just stepping right back into the rhythm of my sin. And so really quickly, I felt this conviction of like, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. What does all really mean? It's non-negotiable. Mm. What does it yeah. mean for all? And so as I was like chewing on that, he called me into honestly a really beautiful season of, of just intimacy with him. I called it a, an intimacy fast. I, um, I just wanted to put on the blinders to all the things that had distracted me for so long. Mm. So I stepped into this intimacy fast with God. It was initially supposed to be just a year long. I called it kissless till next Christmas to myself, which I thought was brilliant <laughs> marketing, yeah, but I, uh, <laughs> Yeah. I stopped dating. I, I treated every guy as if I was in a monogamous relationship with somebody, with God. And so I didn't flirt. I didn't date. I wasn't physical. Like I, 
I just wanted to be undistracted. And it was amazing when I gave God that obedience, really. He began to just stir in me this incredible courage to what scripture says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you, like Mm -hmm. cleanse yourself of, of what is unrighteous, what would defile your heart, your spirit. And so my, my eyes became sensitive to what I was watching. My ears became sensitive to what I was listening to. Like my heart became sensitive to who I was surrounding myself with. And, um, I remember a few months after, you know, that pretty radical conversion, the porn just popped back in my mind. It it hadn't Mm. for a while, which was so nice. But then suddenly it was like the urges came and the temptation came. And um, I remember opening my computer kind of mindlessly, really. I hadn't really put much thought yet to the fact that like maybe a follower of Jesus probably shouldn't watch people be exploited. Like (laughs) I just hadn't thought about it really. And I opened my computer and I was like clicking around to the site and it was unbelievable. The, The minute that I saw the first, like, I think it was a naked woman come up on the screen. I, it was the same searing feeling as that first time I picked up the playing card of my dad's, Mm. um, the novelty, like poker card. I was overwhelmed with nausea. I, my heart instantly broke and I slammed the computer shut and I was just weeping. And I was like, what is going on? on. And I remembered the prayer I have been praying every day Mm -hmm. is God break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me eyes to see the world as you see it. And suddenly I was seeing these people as image bearing creations of God, not just body parts made for my pleasure. Like Mm -hmm. I was suddenly seeing them as someone's daughter and someone's mother and someone's son. And like God asking God for, to give us his heart rehumanizes the world around us. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't look at porn the same. I, the things, the half the music I was listening to and the things I was just mindlessly watching became distasteful. Like Mm -hmm. it was truly when we ask for heart transformation, he'll transform our hearts. Yeah. And and it was just this long season of, it was really, it went on two years of just allowing God to, to uproot all of these really just ugly things in me, my pride, my, I mean, obviously the sexual struggles with sin, uh, you know, with porn, with promiscuity, uprooting that stuff, but also just my control issues, my pride Mm -hmm. issues, my lack of forgiveness to my father, my, you know, resentfulness, just uprooting thing after thing after thing. And, um, it was hard. It was really hard. It really sucks sometimes. (laughs) It's like, it's hard, you know, but it's so holy. It's so holy. Yeah, pruning is usually very hard, but in the end, um, fruit bears from that. And um, I'm just so excited to hear that, man, God did that, took you through that season. And again, it's hard, but man, and for the listener out there who's maybe thinking through, I don't want to have to go through all of that. That just seems too hard. You know, I don't, what if I lose that relationship or what will people think about me? I always say, man, you will never regret going to the throne of grace and confessing and just finding redemption and restoration. And it sounds like that's exactly what you found. Yeah, it was, um, it's still a journey. You know, it was like at the, after those two years, I'm, I was introduced to my now husband, Jeremiah, and especially in like the sexual conversation, the sexual like angle of all of that. I think I was even a little, a little like self-righteous after a lot of that pruning 
And I think this is like, I just shared this stuff because I think it's really honest. And that's what a lot of us can feel. We're like walking with Jesus. We're on fire for the Lord. We've seen so much growth, so much healing, so much transformation. We let our guards down a little. Uh And that is like prime time for the enemy to slide in and to, and to find a foothold, especially for the very same things that bound us before, because they're Uh really, there's still sensitive areas in us. There's still Mm -hmm. wounds that he just has to reopen the scar and like, I, um, I remember we, I started dating and we just hadn't really been intentional. I felt like I am, I'm in ministry now. I'm like so far along in my healing. I counsel other people in like how to break free of these things. And yet all of a sudden I'm in this relationship and we're not intentional in setting up our boundaries quickly enough or having just hard conversations quickly enough. And suddenly we're in the throes of sexual sin. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it just hits you like a train. You're like, wait, wait a second. Like we let our guards down just a bit and the enemy slides in just as deceptive and as mm-hmm. slick as he can and drags you right back into struggles that you thought you'd mastered, you'd conquered. Like, sure. and so my husband and I kind of started to, well, my, he was in my boyfriend, ride this roller coaster mm-hmm. of struggling and both knowing Jesus and loving Jesus. So repenting and like crawling back to the foot of the cross and doing great for a week and then struggling again. And it is so very different sexual sin before, you know, Jesus. And after, you know, Jesus, like the conviction is so different. Mm -hmm. The pain of grieving the heart of the father is different. And so that was really a bit of a roller coaster. And we then turned to accountability and we turn to the word and we're like, we can't keep doing this. We just can't. What, what Mm -hmm. does scripture say about it? And what we found is scripture said gives two options. Ultimately flee, flee, flee sexual immorality, flee sexual temptation, care Mm -hmm. more. I to go back to what you said a second ago, we're afraid to lose a relationship. We're afraid to lose a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We're afraid to lose a friendship more than we're afraid to lose our soul. Like we are so scared to flee from things. We would rather suffer our whole life long with the conviction of grieving the Holy Spirit than we would have temporary pain of fleeing a dating relationship of, of caring more about our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our soul than, you know, disrupting what our current status is. And Yet scripture says you got to die to self. You got to flee from it because God knows what's best for us. And he mm-hmm. he's, yeah. wants to care for our hearts. So we said flee or, or scripture says rather than burn with lust, marry. And we're mm-hmm. like, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Like, and so we really, we spent time apart. I went away on a mission trip for like three months and he was home. That was the best thing for us was just to separate and to spend time apart and spend time alone with God out mm-hmm. of physical distraction. Yeah. And it was in those places that God spoke over both of us that, that we would marry and that he would be my husband, that I would be his wife. And so we, we got to it. We both like came together with that revelation and got engaged and got married and wasted no time. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it's been amazing. It's really amazing when we are obedient to God, no matter how many ups and downs and loops and curves the story has, his, his grace is so sufficient. Yeah. And his call to godliness, to holiness is so important. It's like we must remarry those two things because mm. when we're obedient, he's so gracious and kind and there's mm-hmm. always fruit that comes from it. 
And the marrying Jeremiah was the greatest decision I, I ever made. I mean, stepping into ministry the, the and, and repenting and desiring to truly not only just be able to talk the talk well, but truly walk the walk, like allow the condition of the heart to continue to be convicted and transformed. To recap, Mo did grow up in a Christian home and did have um, expectations of what her life would look like. And there were things she said she would never do, um, but did struggle with a sexual addiction, with pornography and promiscuity. And that all kind of came ahead in college with um, the loss of her father and the car wreck. And she's someone that just lived in that sin, struggled to find freedom from that. And maybe that's you. I know I've been there. I, As I heard most stories, saw so much of my own story in that with the struggle with pornography, right? Because that's, women don't talk about that, right? Because uh, I think there's this mindset that it's not a woman's problem, it's a man's problem, but it is a woman's struggle. And so a uh, struggle with pornography and sexual sin and addiction and promiscuity. Um, but God's grace is more than enough and it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been God sees you he knows you he loves you and he can and wants to redeem you Mo's story is just that but it's so much more and I'm you know we've heard about what she went through growing up and what um, what turned her life around but we want to hear where she is today right and so we're gonna jump back into her story and let Mo share with what God is doing in her life today it's been the greatest journey. We've now been in ministry together as a couple for, I mean, we're going on four years of marriage, probably eight or nine years now of ministry for me as a whole and um, writing books and God's just opened doors. Uh, my first book was re called Wreck My Life. It was my testimony. My second uh, that just came out in March is Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations to Church for God. And um, just traveling the country ministering and we have two amazing daughters already. We make quick work of things. We're like, <laughs> we're, we got a two like and a half it. year old and a 10 month old in just a couple of years of marriage. But, um, just seeing family grow and seeing ministry grow, but also just seeing our hearts grow yeah. because we committed ourselves no matter our past. I mean, someone listening right now could be the Samaritan woman at the well, the whore at the well by all accounts. And who the Samaritan woman meets is a Jesus who drums up every bit of her sin, her shame, her sexual sin, really. And in the face of her filth, he stays and he mm. offers her living water that she would never thirst again. Yeah. And if you look at scripture, the Samaritan woman, the, the broken sexual testimony of, of a woman, that's the first person in the gospels who Jesus gives explicit permission to, to go and evangelize. He's, he's performed, if you read the gospels, he's performed miracles. He's encountered people. You know, he's, he's done what Jesus does on a Tuesday. He's given sight to the blind. It's like, he's done amazing <laughs> yeah. things, but he tells people, don't go tell anyone. It, it always was such a mystery to me. Jesus was meticulous in the release of his ministry. And if you actually read, he's performing these miracles, but he's telling people, don't, don't tell anyone what I've done yet. And yet mm, the so Samaritan bad. woman at the well is the first person that he meets he offers mm. redemption to, he writes a new banner over her life. He reframes her reputation. He calls her mm. redeemed. And he says, now go tell him who I am. Tell him who I am. I am the one who in the face of your filth stays. 
who offers you a new identity, who commissions you in purpose and in power. And that's the first person he gives permission to, to go evangelize mm. and hundreds come to believe in response to her faithfulness. Mm. So I'm like, that's Dang, so beautiful. this is, this is the Jesus of the Bible. This is the God we serve. And in obedience, mm -hmm. he will move through us with great power. And it's our, it's the chains that once bound us that become the very chains that tie up the enemy. And, and it becomes yeah. the very, you know, stage God builds to elevate our testimonies, sins defeated by mm -hmm. the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, I'd rather have a testimony than just continue to suffer because I don't want to get uncomfortable. And I yeah. hope that's the, I hope that's the heart of people listening. Sure. Yeah, no, that's so good. And I, um, gosh, I loved your just telling of the Samaritan woman, man, that's, um, so powerful. I've actually never noticed that. And so, um, I just love that you've shared that. And for anybody out there yeah. who's um, struggling to come to Jesus with your hidden sin, man, know that he's a safe place and he wants to forgive you and show grace and redemption. Um, and nothing is impossible to overcome by the power of Christ in your life. And yeah. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, maybe you could let listeners know how to connect with you online or, um, yeah. And just to purchase your books where they would be able to get that. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I, uh, love me some Instagram. So <laughs> at Mo yep. Isom on Instagram, uh, I love, uh, I have a website, moisom.com and, and lots of blog posts and videos and, uh, connections to, to both the books on there, but they're just anywhere books are sold. Wreck My Life is the first one. The second is Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot, and Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, really anywhere books are sold. They are on the shelves. So that is where the books are. But again, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, although Insta is just where I where I loiter, but uh, I know yeah, me too. I love to, <laughs> I yeah. love, I've, I've often thought like, what on earth is going to happen the day? Like Instagram's eventually going to sit like fade out, you know? And I'm like, right? then what, what I would know, I do? Next? Like, that's how I talk to people. That's like how I <laughs> hear from people. That's such a cool part too. I think for anybody listening of like allowing God to really write our testimony stories of redemption is when we find the courage to share those. It is amazing the community that it grows because a lot more mm, people can relate mm -hmm. to our brokenness than they can to winning a gold medal in the Olympics or being an all American athlete yeah. or whatever it may be. A lot more people can, mm -hmm. can relate to struggling with porn in the darkness, you know, and to mm -hmm. struggling with promiscuity. And so I don't, I love, I love that we can leverage our stories that way. I just love Instagram and connecting and hearing testimonials from people of how even just giving voice to some of this stuff encourages them and, and, you know, catapults healing in their story. And so I just commend you for the same thing, girl. I think it's, it's really amazing seeing God just really, honestly, right now, he's particularly raising up an army of women who are speaking into these sexual topics and not at the belittlement mm -hmm. or the berating of men. Not at all, mm -hmm. but in the unique voice that we as women carry, especially to speak to and minister to other women who need someone to be their voice so that they can find their own. And especially yeah. around sexual topics, I just, I'm so proud of what you're doing as well. Um, mm -hmm. and, and what you're speaking into and writing about because it's just valuable and it's hard, but it's so holy. 
and it's it it's is. important. So mm-hmm. yeah, very important. And I will, for the listener, I will include those links on how you can connect with Mo on the, on the website for the podcast. So you can check there if you forget. And um, Mo, I always ask this question at the end of every show. It's my favorite question. Um, oh boy. If you could share, I know. And if you need a second, <laughs> take a second. But um, if you could share anything with the audience, what would you, what would that be? And what would you leave them with today? Oh, do people do serious stuff or silly stuff? Hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, it's often pretty serious. It's like, yeah, okay. it's, it's the, it's a good question. <laughs> yeah, really? I would, um, I would just encourage anybody listening right now. Scripture says that his mercies are new every morning. Mm-hmm. I meet so many people that feel so far in or so messed up or so long into whatever messy narrative is over their life that they're really just like, what's the point? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. how, how would I even, or where would I start? Or, or honestly, I think the real cry of their heart is like, how could God even still forgive me or offer me grace or use me in any type of way? I'm so far Mm -hmm. in. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. man, today is genuinely the best day to throw off the sin that so easily entangles mm-hmm. you and like the Amen. prodigal son run home because God doesn't just wait at the doorstep, tapping his foot, arms crossed, like ticked. He runs yeah. out, he picks up his robe and he runs out to meet us. Okay. And today is the best day to do that. His mercies mm-hmm. are new every morning and it's just worth it. It's just so worth yeah. it. So anyone listening who has felt that or feels that or is has been imprisoned by that for a really long time. The cross of Jesus Christ has the power to break through prison, prison walls. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just today is the day to step into that freedom and to let that holy heart work begin because it's so worth it. And he's so faithful to do it. Mm, Amen. That's so good. (laughs) And that's where we're going to leave it. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for joining um, the show today. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Wow, wasn't that just so good? I mean, Mo so beautifully articulates um, the struggle with sexual addiction and really just wanting to find worth and value in all the wrong places. And I think many of us can relate to that, looking for our validation in people or in the things of this world. But only validation can be found in Christ. He is our redeemer and our best friend. Today you've got a peek into the story of a person who went through a difficult situation but found grace on the other side. It's a story you might relate to if you do, but you know what, even if you don't know that exact situation, but you can relate to a lot of the feelings and experiences Mo went through, be encouraged to know that your story doesn't end with the difficult situation. It's a scene in your story, but not the end of your story. Thank you for joining me today. If this podcast is something that is ministering to you or you think others might find interesting, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. A review helps this podcast grow, which helps to get the word out to people who might need to hear this story of redemption. Tune in again next month for another powerful story of God's grace. In the meantime, you can find more information about me, read weekly devotionals, and find out what I'm doing around the web at www.brittanyrest.com. See you next time.